The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Please stand for a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 11 through 20. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord made to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks, and I add my welcome to Joseph's. It's good to be with you this morning, opening God's word together. Uh, We are, if you're visiting with us, we are continuing our study in the book of Deuteronomy, and Moses has been preparing the second generation for entrance into the promised land that God has going to gift them. And as we saw last week, we learned the importance of looking backwards so as to see God's purposes in difficult and challenging times, but also to look forward so as not to forget God's provision in the good times. And so this morning, we will investigate more thoroughly the test that God was giving his people as they go into this land to enjoy the bountiful benefits and blessings that he was giving to his people. Moses will call the people to apply what they learned in the scarcity of the wilderness to the abundance that they would soon experience in this land flowing of milk and honey. So with that, let's pray, and then we will look at this text together. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is all that we have and all that we need. Father, we learn more of what it means to abide in Christ and to apprentice him. Lord, would you allow our hearts and our minds to receive this truth this morning? Would your spirit tend to your word that is living and that is active? And would you bring the transformation that we need and that you have promised? Come now and do that for our good and for your greater glory. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Ever since I was a kid, I've been dreaming about this. First day of practice, I was thinking about this. My picture on the news, yeah, they're gonna see it, read about this. Even in the papers, they're gonna read about this. Because all of my life, 
training day and night. I'm prepared to fight for everyone I believed in. Today is the day, the day that I've always dreamed of forever. When you call me, you call me the champ of the world. I can raise my hands, I can scream, I'm the best in the world, the whole world. All my blood, sweat, and grind was all for this time. Those are lyrics to a song that came out several years ago. And I'll assure you, it's probably the first time and the only time that Nellie will be referenced from the pulpit here. But as I heard that song this past week, it made me start to think of how those lyrics really do epitomize the American mentality. I followed my dreams. I've been true to myself. I've worked really hard. And now others need to praise me for my achievements, for my success, for my prosperity. Now, lest we simply just point the finger at culture, left to itself, this is the bent of every human heart that experiences prosperity and abundance. This morning, we're going to see how Moses provides the people of Israel and provides us with a very strong warning as it relates to prosperity and to abundance. We'll learn from this text, as you see in your outline, that as God's people experience abundance, we must be aware of at least two things. First, we must be aware of the perils of prosperity, as we can easily still credit for what God has done and given to us in our lives. But secondly, we need to remember the purpose of remembrance, which will keep us from arrogance and idolatry that leads to judgment. Now Moses, as we've been seeing at various points in our study of Deuteronomy and Israel's journey, he gives them yet another warning in verse 11, where he says, do not forget the Lord your God. Do not forget his commandments and how he's called you to live. Now this warning comes in the context of what Moses knows they're about to enjoy and about to experience as they enter into this land. Look at verses 12 and 13. They describe this abundance, this prosperity that Israel is going to enjoy. They're going to eat and be full on rich foods and, and incredible drinks. They're going to have their herds that are going to multiply and grow. They're going to live in these nice big homes that they didn't even build. And they're going to enjoy to see the abundance of their gold, their silver multiplied, and everything else. They will enjoy the abundance of God's blessing in their lives. But Moses warns that when prosperity happens and they enter into this land, trouble is lurking at the doorstep. Because with great prosperity comes great temptation. We can all attest to this. In seasons of abundance and fruitfulness, we just like Israel, we forget God in those moments. When we're preoccupied with the pleasures of the present, we can easily overlook and forget God's mercy and God's grace in our lives each and every step of the way. And Moses warns that in times of abundance, times of comfort and ease of life, we are more apt to forget God and take credit for where we are and what we have. And what lies at the root of our forgetfulness of God's love and adherence to his commands as he calls us to live in obedience to him It's having our hearts lifted up is how Moses words it in verse 14. It's pride. Pride that our abilities have gained the success and the prosperity that we have and the achievements that we've attained. And one of the forms of pride is the notion that we can be self-sufficient and we can be autonomous and live apart from God. And Moses reveals that if we forget 
where our prosperity, where our blessings are derived, then we will give in to self-exaltation. We'll give in to self-interest. Widespread prosperity, if left unchecked, will lead to gross ingratitude and arrogant pride. Notice that the verse, at the end of verse 14 through verse 16, we've heard this before in our study, but Moses, there's a reason he keeps repeating, but he goes back and gives a history lesson to the second generation about all the redemptive acts that God has done for his people in the last 40 years. It was God, whose, his hand, who graciously brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Israel had zero resources to rescue themselves when they were under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. Israel, God led them through the terrifying wilderness and the fiery serpents, he says, and the scorpions. Who was it that healed them as they were bitten by snakes? It was God. God led them by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And there's roughly some two million Israelites who needed to be fed and have drink. Who supplied that? God provide rushing water out of a rock for them to drink. He provide them fresh manna on the ground every morning for them to be sustained and satisfied in their stomachs. And when God was providing all these things, Israel knew that God was the one who was giving them these blessings. It was undeniable. Israel had zero to boast about. And if we look back to what we looked at last week in verse 10, we see that God intended for his people to do three things as they entered this promised land. First, they were to enjoy his blessing. Moses says, you shall eat and be full. But secondly, he says, you're to offer the worship to him alone. Bless the Lord your God, Moses says. And then thirdly, you are to acknowledge God for his blessing as the source of your blessing, for the good land that he, God, has given you. But instead, Israel would enjoy prosperity by forgetting God and taking credit for what was in the land that they did nothing for. As Christopher Wright notes, he says, sufficiency generates praise for what is given, but surplus generates pride. There's nothing wrong with having success and being prosperous. God told Israel they're gonna be more blessed and prosperous than any other nation on the planet. But it is the love of money and success and abundance that is very dangerous because it begins to creep in to think that we can be self-sufficient and we forget where our blessings are derived. This is why Jesus spent so much time and energy talking about the issue of money and the love of money more than any other issue. Everything we have is to be enjoyed as a blessing from God within the limits that God created it. As we said last week, every gift that we enjoy is to be, allow us to go back to the gift giver himself, to the source. But the irony is that the more that God does in our lives, the more we often think that we've done for ourselves. And this is ingrained in our DNA going all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. But it's also the American way, isn't it? Because the, the mentality is this. You work hard, you accomplish much, you can achieve the American dream, which translates into the big house, the fancy cars, and all the toys that you and your children can desire. This is not new. Take the 
words of our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, when he was uh, reading this for the National Day of Prayer and Fasting. Listen to what he says. We've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power, but we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. And intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace and too proud to pray to the God that made us. As Moses states in verse 17, great danger in living in abundance is that we're tempted to say in our hearts, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Now, did you notice that Moses says in our hearts? That's because this is an inward dialogue that we have, not that we will verbalize this to others, but most of us here would readily affirm the truths that Paul expounds in Romans 3 and Romans chapter 6, which says that we're entitled to nothing except the just punishment for our sin. We would all go, yes, that's true. But yet, in our hearts, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're actually better than we are and that we are deserving of what we have and a whole lot more. We think that we are deserving and that we have earned success, love, comfort, power, reputation. And even now, there's probably some of us in here that say, okay, yes, I know that God is the creator of everything, but Chad, you don't know how hard I've worked. You don't know where I came from to get to where I am now. You don't know how diligent and hardworking I've been. It's because I've been wise with my money that I have the big house and the nice cars and the reputation and the power. Now there's a sense in which that's true. God does call us to work diligently and to work hard and be wise with what he entrusts to us. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do in your life, do it to the glory of who? God, not us. Pride says this, it creeps in, it says, my intellect, my abilities, my relational skills, my expertise, my knowledge and wisdom has gotten me to where I am to enjoy what I have. Imagine a child sitting at the lunch table talking with his friends at school and he's just bragging away about his big house that he lives in and the fancy cars he gets to ride in and all the exotic vacations he gets to go on, that'd be pretty silly, right? Because that child really doesn't contribute a whole lot to the family. Maybe a few chores, maybe some laughter, maybe the messes that he creates. But it would be absurd for that child to actually boast and take credit for the riches of the parents. Same is true for us as children of God. Everything that we have and we receive is from his hand given to us that we didn't earn or deserve in any way. Moses is reminding Israel, reminding us this morning that God is the owner of everything. He's the giver of every good gift as James describes in James 1. Or as King David says, he's the author. He's the one who's given us everything that we have. He's the author of the earth. Everything is his. 
Where did our intelligence, where did our abilities, where did our relationships, where did our opportunities, where did these things come from? They came from God. Have you ever thought about why you were born in America, into the family that you were born into, given the opportunities that you've been given that landed you on Lookout Mountain or in Chattanooga, as opposed to being born in the slums of India? Moses says it had nothing to do with you or me. Where have the subtleties of pride and entitlement crept into your heart, thinking that you're deserving of everything that you have? Where have we become self-sufficient, looking to our own strength and our own accomplishments, rather than to the grace and the mercy that has been given to us in Christ? See, because pride is so easily seen in others around us, but very hard to pinpoint and, and see in our own hearts, this means we need to ask others, trusted family and friends, to speak in and show us where there is pride in our hearts. And then as the Spirit and others help us to see these areas, we can then lay them down in repentance before the Lord Jesus, humbling ourselves to what is true of us. We have nothing but have gained everything at the cost of Jesus. Next, we learn of the power of remembrance, which protects us against arrogance and against idolatry that leads to judgment. So verse 18, Moses burst the bubble of arrogant pride by calling Israel and calling us to remember these words. He says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now we've seen in our study how forgetfulness leads to idolatry. And so therefore Moses is calling us once again to remember. To remember God is to recognize that all that we have is given by him. Every good and perfect gift. God doesn't give us prosperity and blessing to boost our ego. He gives us these things to enjoy them so that it might point us back to him in right worship in obedience to his word. Remember the command that Peter gives in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. In order to guard against the temptation of pride, we must actively pursue humility before the Lord, remembering what is true of God and what is true of us. And that is God is the owner of all things. We are simply mere stewards of everything given to us from every material possession that we have down to our bank account, our retirement account, all the way down to our children. And as we remember that he's the owner and we are the stewards, this helps to keep us from having ourselves high and lifted up. But in our forgetfulness, in our rebellion, what we do is we supplant God. We elevate ourselves as owner and we seek to build our own kingdoms. But if we rightly viewed all of our work as God's kingdom work and every blessing and benefit that we have as kingdom resources to build up the kingdom of God, there's no room for pride to creep in. This text clearly indicates how living in abundance can lead to forgetfulness. But I also think that there is another reason why we can often fail to remember. And that is because it often hurts to remember the things that are in our past, doesn't it? See, back there, there's all kinds of failures. There's all kinds of ways that we've squandered and made bad decisions with our time, with our money, 
with the use of our bodies. And there's a lot of shame and guilt back there. We don't want to relive that. So we just try to cover it up. But this passage tells us that if we don't remember that we stand to lose something powerful, something valuable in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Did you notice the phrase that's repeated over and over in verses 14 through 16? He, God, led you. God brought you out. God was leading Israel every step of the way in the wilderness when they were wandering and suffering. And in the same way, each of our sufferings our failures, our painful experiences. God has been leading us every single moment of those steps. And in a way that none of us can grasp and understand this side of glory, God has actually lovingly and intentionally written both the joyful and the painful experiences into our unique stories. And when we fail to or we're unwilling to remember these things, we stand to miss the providential hand of God that is at work in our lives for his purposes and for our good. See, some of us here this morning, we hate our stories because it's messy, it's ugly. But don't miss the one who's writing your story, the God of creation who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. God has allowed us to experience all that we have in order to not only test us, but to work greater humility and dependence upon him. And all along the way of the journey, we can be assured that God is bringing good ultimately in our lives. That's what Moses says here. So even though we may not be able to see the good right now in the midst of the circumstances that we're walking through, we've got an ironclad promise that it is for our good ultimately in the end. Do you believe that this morning? as we remember God's powerful work, not only in our salvation, but also in every aspect and detail of our lives. This helps keep us humble, remembering God as the giver of all good gifts. And we can respond with thankful obedience in our lives. Recalling God's goodness and faithfulness in our lives, what it does is it leads to gratitude, knowing that I'm undeserving of anything that I have. And as we've seen in this study, God's promise to give Israel this land, it came with an obligation. Israel was to respond with obedience to all that God had called of them so that they could enjoy permanently this land and all the blessings that God was giving to them. In verse 18, Moses says, the reason that you're to remember that it is God at work in you to enjoy all these blessings is because you can see the evidence of his covenant faithfulness in your life. But even more than that, it's also so the nations can see the covenant faithfulness of God and they can be drawn to him. And Moses warns, he says, if you fail to remember God and live out his commandments, then eventually you will set your hearts upon the idols of the land and you will experience judgment just like the surrounding nations. See, God could be relied upon to keep his promise. But unfortunately, Israel and you and I We can't because we know the end of the story and what happens. Years later, Israel would forget God and they would lead them to gross idol worship and God's disciplining hand would come upon them as he would strip them out of the land so that they would experience a bitter life under exile in Babylon. 
All because Israel failed to remember the gracious works that God had done in their life. Now in eternity past, God made another covenant within the Trinity called the covenant of redemption. The Father devised the plan for the Son to become incarnate, to suffer and to die, to be the federal head of mankind and to die for the sins of his people. And as Jesus took on flesh, facing the unbearable agony of the cross, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped and held onto. Christ remembered the covenant with his Father and he submitted himself all the way to death on a cross. And Christ's remembrance led to his obedience, which led to his reward, a people for himself, you and me, his church. See, like Israel, our sins of pride and arrogance must be judged and dealt with. But thanks be to God that he doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve. The judgment that was rightfully due to us was laid upon Christ at the cross. He was exiled for us, experiencing the fullness of the Father's wrath poured out for our sin. Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. We might live unto righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. What's the antidote to forgetfulness that leads to idolatry? It is the intentional and continual remembrance of God's amazing grace to rescue and redeem undeserving sinners like you and me. See, our remembrance of Christ's redeeming work in the past is what will lead us to right worship in the present while we await the glorification of ourselves in the future. I struck this past week as I close with Psalm 77. It's really a psalm of lament that's written out of great discouragement and great despair. The psalmist begins the psalm this way. He says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. And he goes on to say, but my soul refused to be comforted. Have you ever felt that way? Wondering if God actually hears your cries? That's where the psalmist was. And he continues, he says, will the Lord reject forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? But then as the psalm goes on, the tone of the psalm changes. And we get to verse 10 and 11. And the psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders from of old. The psalmist's countenance and his attitude changes as he practices the discipline of remembrance. As we see with Asaph here in Psalm 77, our stories are not meant to just simply be kept to ourselves. We are to share our stories so that others can be encouraged by the work that God does in the lives of his children. So may we share our stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, with our children, with our small groups, in our Bible studies, with our co-worker, our classmates, family members, and friends. For in doing so, not only are we reminded of God's faithfulness, but others around us are too, that they might bow their knee to this one who they can taste and see as good. May these lyrics be the heartbeat of our souls. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and how divine. I can say all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ 
in me. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are prideful, arrogant people. And even as we hear of what the Israelites did, we can often thumb up our nose and think that we would have not reacted and responded in the same way. Father, forgive us for our arrogance. Father, thank you that you came for prideful people, rebellious people like ourselves to make us your own at great cost to yourself. Father, would you allow our minds and our hearts to remember the many ways that you have been faithful, that you have shown up, not necessarily in the ways that we've prayed for, but in the exact ways that we have needed. And when we remain faithful and we give glory and honor to you alone for what you have done for us that we can never repay, thank you for pouring out your blood and redeeming us. We ask now that you prepare our hearts as we come to this table that we might yet again remember. Pray it in Christ's name, amen.